Hello and welcome once again to Cherish Ephesians 6.4. The title for this week's article is When Bad Things Happen to Good People. So recently I received an email from a friend who was asking me about the book When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Harold Kushner. Now this book was published many years ago and became a bestseller. And unfortunately, many people have tried to find the answer to suffering and have gravitated to this particular publication. So what follows here in this article is me sharing what I shared with my friend regarding my own view on the theology put forth by Rabbi Kushner. If you've not tripped across this book, please don't buy it. If you know someone who has bought into this view of God and suffering, you may want to share some of this article. So let's jump right into it. The author builds his case on a number of presuppositions that are false. Uh, because he's Jewish, he's drawn conclusions based on the Old Testament only. And that's not a problem as far as discussing this, uh, his point of view. Um, there's more than enough in the Old Testament that will help me speak to the issue. So here's one of his points. He says, the fundamental cause for suffering in the world is the free will actions of men. Uh, and this is false. The cause for suffering in the world is that sin came into the world as a result of disobedience to God by our first parents, Adam and Eve. Thank you very much. Since that time, the propensity to sin has marred the hearts and minds of every person that has been born, and even the creation does not behave as it was originally created. Note that the ability to choose right or wrong, free will, existed before and after that first sin. Free will is not the problem. The problem is the manifestation of that sinful nature, which is sin. Also, it is true that there is a great deal of suffering that comes from the action of sinful people toward one another, but there is also a great deal of suffering in this fallen world that has nothing to do with the actions of men. So take, for example, think of diseases, natural disasters such as hurricanes or earthquakes, etc., etc., um, that's as a result of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. The next point, Kushner says, God cannot do anything about suffering because he has bound himself from interfering in the free will actions of men. This is false. The idea that God would somehow relinquish any control or care of his most wonderful creation, that's man, because he has bound himself from interfering with the free will of man, is an idea that is diametrically opposed to the teachings of the Old Testament. From the first book of the Old Testament to the last, God is always and everywhere involved with everyone and everything in his creation. The story is a story of deliverance, intimately guiding his people from the sinful actions of men. So we can track that with every key figure, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, and so on. And through oppression, bondage, wars, other threats, God, quote-unquote, interferes. And if he had not, the Jews would have been wiped out. Both on a national level and a personal level, God was never bound from stopping evil if he chose to do so. Listen to David in Psalm 140. <clears throat> Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue sharp as serpents, and under their lips is venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. 
Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. The arrogant have hidden a trap for me, and with cords they have spread a net. Beside the way they have set snares for me. I say to you, Lord, you are my God. Give ear to the voice of my pleas for mercy, O Lord. O Lord, my God, the strength of my salvation. You have covered my head in the day of battle. Grant not, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further their evil plot, or they will be exalted. As for the head of those who surround me, let mischief of their lips overwhelm them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into fire, into miry pits, no more to rise. Let not the slanderer be established in the land. Let evil hunt down the violent man speedily. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. That entire psalm, David is praying and singing to God about being involved in all of these things that David and the nation of Israel is going through. He is completely involved in the free will actions of men. Back to Rabbi Kushner. Next point. People will learn from their sinful behavior and one day will reach a place of perfection. Okay. This is a false idea that is found nowhere in the Old Testament. In fact, if we look at the ancient history of the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament, we will see clearly that Jews could never overcome their sinful hearts and constantly vacillated between the times of worshiping the true God and the worship of false gods and idols. It's an illustration that proved we need a savior. If we were to believe Kushner's idea that they or we are moving towards perfection, we could ultimately conclude that God would not need to send a Messiah. Again, this is completely out of step with the teaching of the Old Testament. This is an idea that maybe you'll find in Eastern mysticism. So I'm not going to list a bunch of verses here, but if anyone did just a cursory reading of the Old Testament, you will see that this forecast is patently false. But let's consider what has changed about the hearts of men since that time. Well, if we look at more modern times, and let's say the last 200 years of history, we will find many efforts that men have made to form organizations and institutions that would bring about some kind of worldwide peace. Think United Nations and League of Nations and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, the plain facts remain that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in the history of all mankind. All efforts to overcome sinful men apart from the change of heart that the gospel brings, has completely failed. The idea is that we just needed to get more people educated or make sure they had more money has produced zero change. In fact, education and money are often things that spur even greater sinfulness. History shows us the most educated and wealthy men in the world have often been the perpetrators of some of the most wicked crimes. It is not difficult to see that we're not moving toward perfection, not even an inch. So let's look at the story of Job because this is what Kushner used to prove his points. I don't understand how, but here's what Job actually says. If you go through it, just some bullet points. Job was blameless and upright, 
one who feared God and turned away from evil. It's Job 1. He was an exceptionally good man. Job was super wealthy. Job 1.3. Job even tried to cover the sins of his children. Job 1.5. It was God, not evil men, that initiated the experience that Job was about to have. Job 8. Satan challenged God that Job was faithful only because he had received so many blessings from God. Job 1, 10 through 11. God allowed Satan to test Job. Job 1, 12. Under Satan's influence, both the sinful actions of men and natural calamities crushed Job's family. Job 1, 13 through 19. For much of the book of Job, we hear the accusations of Job's so-called friends, their advice, and Job's laments. His friends think Job is hiding his guilt because they assume God is punishing Job for his sins. And Job analyzes all that he knows about the attributes of God and wonders why this suffering is happening to him. At no time does he break from his convictions about God and deny his faith. However, Job did not know that there was something that was happening to him as a result of God's conversation with Satan. Job's suffering had nothing to do with any sin Job had committed. Job's theology was true. He knew that even though suffering often comes through the actions of sinful men, and that God cannot be the cause of sin in his perfect holiness, God was in ultimate control of everything that happened in the universe. He knew the answer to his suffering could be found in the mind of God. Job 12, 1-25. And he wanted to find out what God was thinking about Job's suffering. Job was under relentless pressure to either admit to sins that he didn't commit or deny the goodness of God. That's in Job 19. God answers Job, but he never gives Job a reason for his suffering. In chapters 38 and 39, God asks Job a number of questions which direct Job to remember the power, majesty, and sovereignty of God. After listening to what God has said, Job says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. It's Job 40. God continues to question Job with more questions that illustrate God's grandeur over the entire universe. Chapters 40 and 41. Job realizes that he is nothing compared to God and loathes himself for ever questioning the wisdom of God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, quote, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's Job 42, 1 through 6. The test is over and the lesson learned. God restores the fortunes of Job and gives him twice as much as he had before. That's in chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. So let me see if I can wrap up 
some helpful takeaways. The problem of suffering, and especially suffering for people who seem to deserve better, has not been solved by any philosopher or theologian. The reason why it doesn't get solved is because we do not get direct answers to the questions we are asking. In essence, we are doing what Job was doing, demanding answers from Almighty God. However, we are unlike Job in that when he was reminded who God truly is, he regretted his behavior and worshiped God. Instead, when we don't get answers to the questions we have, we either dismiss God or create some kind of belief system that allows us to disconnect suffering from God. I'm sure you'll remember the airplanes that were flown by terrorists into the World Trade Center. Immediately after that horrible incident, religious leaders of all kinds came out and were quick to say that God had nothing to do with it. They did this because they didn't want people to blame the incident on God and turn away from him. But we must realize that if we attempt to sweep under the carpet any involvement from God in the terrible things that happen in the world, we defrock God of his sovereignty, his power, and his wisdom. And if we do that, God is not God. Therefore, we must accept the fact that there are undeniable truths about God and man that exist and work together, even though our minds cannot figure out how it can be so. However, to get closer to understanding suffering, we must have the right starting point. The starting point for suffering is not why do bad things happen to good people. That starting point presupposes that there are some people who should not experience evil because of their apparent goodness. No, the true starting point is where we learn that people are living under God's promise that the world would be cursed as a result of Adam's sinful behavior, and that sin truly permeates all of us. Yes, there are virtuous people in the world, and they are often very nice people, but their amount of goodness should not be compared to other people. They should be compared to God's absolute holiness. And that truth creates another thing that we don't want to accept. In this fallen world, no one is exempt from sin, suffering, and death. Job knew this and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's in Job 1, 21 through 22. Know this. God is intimately involved in suffering and has a wise and good purpose for every bit of it. Often we don't understand it, but sometimes we do. I have two powerful examples for you. The first one is the story of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his very own brothers who were terribly jealous of him. As we follow Joseph through the years, we see him as a slave, a person elevated to greater responsibility, a man who is put into prison because he's unjustly accused of attempted rape, and finally a man who is released from prison and given the position of the second most powerful man in Egypt. Throughout the story of Joseph, he never complained about what is happening to him but he continues to trust God. 
as a result of a famine throughout the land. His brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, unknowingly go before Joseph as ruler of the land and beg for food. Rather than take vengeance on his brothers for all the suffering that he had endured, Joseph says to them, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Genesis 45.5 Later in the story, his brothers are still terrified that he will destroy them, and rightfully so for all they did to him. But he says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Genesis 50, 20. All along his journey, Joseph knew that God was working things out for Joseph's eventual good and God's glory. He did not question his plight, but trusted God, even though he had no idea what would happen next in his life. The second story is about Jesus' suffering and death. Jesus told his disciples several times that he was going to suffer and die, but they either did not understand it or simply didn't want to accept it. They wanted him to be a savior with an agenda that was more in line with their own. Shortly after Jesus' death, they did come to understand the purpose of Jesus' suffering and the reason why he had to die. If there was ever a man who did not deserve to suffer, based on his absolute goodness and holiness, it was Jesus. But that was not the plan. Listen to the following verses from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 22 through 23, where both the plan of God for Jesus to suffer and die and the sinful actions of men are working at the same time. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I know from the record written in the New Testament, many followers of Jesus were absolutely confused after his death. It is not specifically said in the Bible that anyone said the following, but I can only imagine that many were questioning how such a horrible death could come to the most wonderful man they had ever met. I have no doubt that someone said, why do bad things happen to good people? Most people dispersed after his death and probably never went back to learning anything more about him. But if they had read and understood the Old Testament, they would have known that the Savior was going to be a suffering Savior. It had to be that way because our real enemy is not people or governments that oppress us. The real enemy is sin and death. To conquer sin and death, there was and is only one person who was qualified to serve as our substitute and endure the punishment that we deserved. And this suffering experienced by the man who least deserved it, was a suffering that carried pain beyond what we can imagine. Yet it was the most gracious and meaningful event that God could ever plan for us. The suffering of Jesus is the only way out for people who want forgiveness for their sins 
now and beyond the grave. Thinking all this through, I hope we can maintain a true perspective of God and suffering and realize that we are not going to get all of our questions answered about suffering. If Job were here, he might ask us, Did you create God for you? Or did God create you for him? If he is the creator, does he have the right to execute a plan that he is pleased with? Or must he bow down to the creature and learn what he must do to fit into being the God that agrees with their wishes? Lots to think about. Thanks for listening. See you next time.